Welcome to the Film for Fans podcast, the podcast from movie fans for movie fans. I am your host, Ryan Dunleavy, joined as always by my co-host, Rob Dunham. And if you don't have a cat riding popsicle t-shirt, then are you even living? Probably not. Apparently not. Yeah. No, definitely not. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we could go endlessly about great t-shirt designs. However, this is not a t-shirt podcast. It is a movie podcast. So we will, of course, update you on the box office. We will uh, discuss further a story of the movie industry continually trying to drive itself out of business. Uh, Although we uh, we do have an, apparently we have an argument for the defense. Yes. We'll see how strong that argument is. Yes. I'm I'm, I'm not sure it's going to work, but we're going to give it a go. Is this like the debate class in high school where they made you argue for the thing that you knew was incorrect? Yes, and we are, of course, talking about AMC theaters and their seating pricing. Uh, We will continue our discussion of Oscar winners, this time Oscar winners of the 1990s, and, of course, our watch list. You ready to get started, Rob? Do it. Awesome, awesome. I love it. Okay, so first up, let's give you a box office update. And first off at the box office, we have, for the first time in two months a new winner mm. at the box office no no avatar huh no avatar number one at the box office in its first week in the debut knock at the cabin mm. 14.1 million for knock at the cabin uh ranks it first this week number two coming in another new entrant 80 for brady 12.7 million Avatar finishes third in its eighth week in the box office, a position it has not now known, $11.3 million. Uh, BTS yet to come in cinemas, $8 million. And our top five is rounded out with Puss and Boots at $7.9 million. All right, Rob, we got a couple of new entrants into the top five. What do you make of it? Uh, I, I think any credit James Cameron got for Avatar breaking the $2 billion mark should be immediately rescinded due to the fact that 80 for Brady. <laughs> that should not have happened in, in any week ever, not even the first week for that movie. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm surprised by that, I gotta say. I did. I really did not think there was a double-digit million audience around for this movie, but apparently... Senior citizens must really love Tom Brady. I, they must, and I'm I'm guessing there was a lot of older ladies uh, lunch and movie sessions over the last week. Um, I saw as I mean as part of an article we'll discuss later that there was a there was a discount uh, offered at certain theater ah. chains for matinee showings of eighty for Brady. Uh, so that may have played a role. So like the early work special at the diner. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, I think the only thing one can say is the NFL is this good that it managed to do something to appeal to like older women. Like the NFL is that right. big of a king that it somehow managed to draw in a bunch of older women. Like I'm assuming that's the audience for this movie, but 12.7 million. I mean, there's, I don't see any world in which another sport would have generated a movie like this that that many people would have gone to see. Yeah, no, I I guarantee you not. Yeah, <laughs> no way, no way. Uh, yeah, what do you make? What do you make of uh, Knock the Cabin? Fourteen point one. Is I mean, that on the low side for you, or is that about I, average? I think it's decent, but I do think it is. We've seen some other ones do a little mm-hmm. bit better than that, so um, I do think there's a lot of doubt around uh, M Night's yeah. um, mm-hmm. qualifications at this point, and I think. Really, what will be interesting is to see what it does next week. Yeah, to see if see if it stays in the double digit millions. If if there's enough word of mouth, yeah, spreading around for people to want to go see it, or if if it drops significantly, then it could be like just another step down mm-hmm. for him. Unfortunately, so the, I'm really interested in seeing what happens there. Yeah, I'm guessing next week will determine whether or not this is a successful movie. I would have guessed around 20 million for for this one. So mm-hmm. I do think for me it came in a little under projections. I didn't see what their what the industry's actual projections were for it. Uh so I don't know if it met industry expectations. 
Uh, but it did come in number one and it does have the option. I mean, it's always kind of interesting when a film comes out second week marketing number one in the box office. And like, there's a massive difference between like $150 million movie number one at the box office and a $14 million yeah. movie number one at the box office. But it does get that claim. And so maybe that will help it along with uh, seeing what people thought about it and word of mouth. And yeah, we'll see going forward. All right. There's a killer coming out this week, Rob. It's going to dominate the box office, man. What we got? Magic Mike's Last Dance. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, there are three, uh, technically four movies coming out this weekend. Uh, maybe led by Magic Mike's Last Dance. Unironically. Unironically. <laughs> uh, and of course, this is, I think, the third Magic Mike movie. I don't really... I, I yeah, I think there was Magic it. Mike and then Magic Mike XXL or something. Yeah, something like that. Uh, maybe just XL. I, I maybe not. Know. You know, he's, know, maybe he's not super gigantic. I mean, it depends just, on if you. Yeah. It depends yeah. on what we're talking yeah, about. Yeah, Sass Channing Tatum. Yeah. <laughs> <He'll tell you. laughs> All right, this is going to a weird place. Uh, let's uh, let's let's get back on the rails here. Uh, but Magic Mike, of course, uh, stars Channing Tatum, but the his main co-star in this one is going to be Selma Hayek, and. Mike takes the stage again following a business deal that went bust, leaving him broke and taking bartender gigs in Florida. Mike heads to London with a wealthy sociolite who lures him into an offer he can't refuse. Magic Mike, last dance. Hopefully that last dance means this is the last one of these <laughs> that the box office gets uh, subjected to. But we'll see. Uh, next up on the list, Consecration. Uh, so this is another horror film. And this is after the alleged suicide of her priest brother, Grace travels to a remote Scottish convent where he fell to his death. Distrusting the church's account, she uncovers the murder, sacrilege, and disturbing truth for herself. And this stars Jenna Malone and Danny Houston. All right, so that's Consecration. And third, we have Seriously Red, which is just now kind of coming out in theaters. I don't know if it plays somewhere else. It's technically got a 2022 hmm. one, but I saw it in some local theaters. So, and it's a realtor pursues a new career as a Dolly Parton impersonator. Okay. Life choices, man. Yeah. I mean, there are some life choices going on in that department. And this stars Crew Bolin, Daniel Weber, and Rose Byrne. And we have the official re-release of Titanic. Yes, Titanic is back in theaters mm -hmm. for a 25th anniversary re-release. Uh, because that's what he does to continue making mm -hmm. more money off of his very... You know, films. I heard that this Titanic re-release, if you're interested in going to see it, it's going to be near a far... Wherever you are, you'll have an opportunity to go check out Titanic. Oh, just, just no, no, no. <laughs> oh my goodness! Yeah. Uh, Newsflash: uh, the boat still sinks. I think they want to fix that. In the she still release. kicks DiCaprio off of the door for yeah, you know, reasons. Yeah, she loves him so much that she yeah. just wants to watch him drown. It's you know, great. And uh, the the gemstone gets still gets thrown into the ocean mm -hmm. for some reason mm -hmm. you know yeah because why not i mean shout out to my friends keith and jen because this was their very first date mm -hmm. going to see this movie and they've been married now for over 20 years so that tells you well it's been a while apparently yeah uh, close to 25 years yep. it probably wasn't yep. you know not exactly yep. but that gives yep. you some kind of time mm -hmm. scale um apparently they need to go see this movie again then i, I don't think they want to <laughs> <laughs> I don't blame you. But apparently, although I as the craziest, I I think when I look back at, uh -huh. at, at my life when it yeah. comes to movie phenomena, the craziest movie phenomenon I can remember is people going to see Titanic like five, six times because I knew many people yeah. knew that, and it made no sense to me. Whatsoever. It made no sense to me. Why either. would you want to spend over three hours in the theater that many times? I don't. I yeah. Yeah, we're going to get to that in a moment because this film is going to come back up in a, in a later segment here. Uh, but that's your box office coming up. All right, Rob. Uh, 
interesting entrance this week. Are you going to see any of them? Probably not. <laughs> Me I mean, I'm going to the movie theater tomorrow, but yeah. I'm going to see Knock at the Cabin, yeah. which came out last week, technically. Mm-hmm. So um, I can't say I'm particularly interested in any of these movies coming out. No, it's a it's a little bit rough. I, I think I might be actively disinterested in <laughs> Magic Mike and Titanic. And I think that um, the Red movie is a very strange sequel to Turning Red. Probably. And I'm not really following the storyline there. Yeah, no. <laughs> Yeah, this is, uh, for me, it's a rough week in the box office. There's really not a whole lot I want to see. Now, next week, that's going to change. we got a pretty big movie coming out next week, which hopefully we'll get a chance to get to here. Uh, not this week. We're going to preview that. And that's, of course, Ant-Man and the Wasp. Yes. Quantumanian. So that's coming out in the following week. Uh, yeah, so not a lot in the box office this week. If you're a diehard Titanic fan, have at it. If, for some reason, you're a magic mike fan then you know seek professional help indeed question <laughs> your life choices and uh let's move forward all right so now we got to get to this other story and this story is um it's it's a story that's that's one thing we can say about it it is absolutely a story and this is amc theaters is moving towards a pricing model based on where you sit in the theater. Yes, that's right. You were going to have to pay for your movie ticket based on where you sit in the theater. Uh, They're rolling this change out in a couple of major cities right now. The plan is that it will roll out to all theaters later in the year. And basically what it looks like is uh, if you, if you, sit in the front rows uh you will get a slight discount uh your normal ticket pricing will happen uh for most of the other rows and the ones that they deem as prime seating will charge you a dollar or two more per seat uh there are some caveats around this if you have like the amc like high member program or whatever i forget what it's called uh then you aren't charged the premium seating uh, this only applies on shows after 4 p.m. And of course, they have a discount Tuesday like a lot of theaters have. It doesn't apply there. Um, but this is drawing a, a pretty stark reaction. And uh, this is kind of what they have to say about it. Um, let me find the correct quotes here. Uh, Sightline at AMC. That's what their program is. Their seating program is called Sightline. At AMC, more closely aligns AMC's... There we go. More closely aligns AMC's seating pricing approach to that of many other entertainment venues, offering experience-based pricing and another way for moviegoers to find value at the movies. Now... There's a lot that we want to say about this and will say about this. However, I thought it would be fun uh, to potentially play devil's advocate on this one and to have each of us try to sell this idea. Let's say you are in you are an AMC executive. You are pitching this idea to the board. You think this is a great idea. How are you selling it? uh it's i mean we live in a world of the vip right Mm. and so you want the customer to feel valued you want them to feel like they are very important Mm. a very important person indeed if you would right yeah and you want them to be able to encourage their friends to come out to amc you want them to maybe you know have a little swagger when it comes to uh the theater going experience so you know, if you charge people a little extra to sit in the best seats for viewing the movie, then they're going to feel added. And that's going to be a value add to your entire theater experience because people will talk about it on social media. They'll talk mm. about it to their friends. Um, it'll become a huge deal that, you know, they sat in the best sight line and it's going to become a huge international trend. And uh, everyone's going to love us because of this. 
I, I see her having a hard time ever overcoming the undercoming <laughs> sarcasm <laughs> as she's trying to sell this. I have no idea. What <laughs> I, I, all right. As I'm thinking about this, if I'm trying to sell this, I think I have to say, look, we're hemorrhaging money. We need to figure out a way to get more money in. So what do we have that's a commodity that we can that we can sell? What, what is some additional commodity that we have? And when we look around and we see other venues, we see concerts, uh, we see sporting events, your ticket pricing is based on where you sit. You know, further up you sit, the worse your seats are, the cheaper you pay for them. Uh, we are missing out on the opportunity uh, to have a similar pricing structure, which could potentially get us some more revenue as we are continually hemorrhaging money. So that's that's the biggest thing. And it's it shouldn't be that big of a deal because people are used to this experience in other venues. I think you might also argue that no one sits in the front two rows anyway. Yes. So by charging a little extra for the other rows, you're going to gain money from those rows. And you also might push some additional people into those front rows that aren't being used anyway, thereby yes. gaining some money. Mm -hmm. I could see that being an actual yeah. argument. Yeah, if somebody wants to, that they can sit in those for a discounted yeah. rate, if that doesn't bother you. If, you know, trying to lie on your back and crane your neck at a 45 degree angle doesn't bother you, hey, you get to go at a cheaper rate. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think... That's about the only arguments I've got on this one. Um, now let's get to let's get to the thoughts. Um, Rob, this sounds like a horrendous idea. What <laughs> <laughs> uh, what what is your initial take on this? Out of all the movie theater ideas I've heard in my life, this is one of them, and it is really not good. Yeah. Um, I, I can't recall anyone ever talking to me about where they sat in the movie theater when they watched a movie. Mm -hmm. Like, I, it's not a thing. Yeah. So when you say is maybe one of the selling points is it's a commodity that we can monetize, like, it's not because no one cares. I mean, other than maybe sitting in those front two rows. Yeah. There's not... We're, they're making the comparison to, like, concerts and sporting events. But there is a qualitative, major qualitative difference in where you sit, like, say, at an NFL football game or at a hockey game or something like that. There's a qualitative difference in the experience based on where you sit. Now, some of the pricing is wonky, as it always is when you have seat-based pricing. We have something that seems like a good seat, but it's actually low or vice versa. Mm -hmm. But there really is. Or if you go to a concert, the closer you sit the more you get to see facial expressions of the band, the inner workings of the musicians when they're playing their instruments, um, depending on the, the place you're at, the acoustic position. Like if you there's you don't want to sit super close to the front when you're going to see like a symphony or something mm -hmm. because of the way the sound coalesces, there's a qualitative difference. Aside from the front rows, I don't know that there's a qualitative difference whatsoever in going to the movie theater. There's really no difference to me between sitting at the end of a row or in the middle of a row. Mm -hmm. um, I think sometimes sound mm -hmm. can be different depending on if you're sitting in the back, middle, or towards the front. Yeah. Um, maybe particularly in like a large format theater, mm -hmm. like an IMAX theater. Yeah. My So this raises another question. Sidebar, what are your favorite seats in the movie theater? Mm. Um, if we're talking about IMAX, I do like to sit much further back, much further back than I do at, say, a normal theater. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, I like to basically be middle-middle, mm -hmm. um, not too far to the back, like somewhere, like if it's if it's multi-tiered, somewhere in the middle, towards mm -hmm. the back of the middle. Mm -hmm. That's usually like to be middle of the row, too. And this is, this is why I bring this up, because for me, I have two favorite places I like to sit, yeah. either... Um, like a free seat on the handicap row. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are. Or nice. I sit in the very back row in the middle. Yeah. And so, 
just between you and me, we are only two people. Yes. We have two very different uh -huh. determinations on what the best seat is. Yeah. So that's one of the reasons why I think this is a terrible idea because I, I don't think there's, there's no such thing as a universally recognized best seat. Yeah. It, and like yeah. you said, because it's in a small enclosed space, it's not like a sporting event or a concert. Yeah. There's no premium seat. Plus, you have theater. very different size of theaters. You can be in a very small theater where all the seats are virtually identical. Mm -hmm. uh, or you can get one of the big giant theaters that they usually put the main big releases in where there is there is a qualitative difference a little bit. Like when you start actually yeah. getting to some difference. See, I, what I want to see AMC do is like, I want them to go into every theater. I want them to rip up all their seats. I want the first two rows to be actual like wooden slat seats. <laughs> you have to fold down and have all your weight on or they snap back on you. The next row up can be plastic seats. The next row up can be ones that recline by pulling a lever and are like vinyl seating thing. And the next one can be recliners that are powered. And then the very middle middle, I guess, like those three seats, we can have the recliners that have heating on them and you can like order food from them and like <laughs> they can give you a massage while you're watching the movie like th this yeah, is how yeah, absurd yeah. this idea yeah. is that like that's the only way i could actually see this making well, any sense well what you're bringing up is the fact that that basically what happens is is people need to see where is the added value if i'm paying more where's the added value and basically what they're doing with this program rollout is saying no, no, no. Where you normally sit, a lot of you where you normally sit, you're just going to pay more. You're not actually getting anything for that. You're just paying more. And so uh, it's basically going to look like what it is. And that's a straight money grab. Yeah. And so it's not going to it's not going to engender a better experience. Like there's nothing that comes with it that says you paying more, but you're getting more. And what's interesting to me is and I think. I'll, I'll say interesting, but also the word arrogant mm -hmm. <clears throat> is that they're trying this in some major cities, but they're saying it will be in all yeah. the theaters by the end of the year, because I think this could like flame out miserably yeah. in yeah. the big cities. Yeah. And they might have to like roll it all back. But they've already said we're going to do it no matter yeah. what in every theater. And and I, I can see two things along these lines. One is instead of getting more people to pay more for those tickets, then basically what you have is you have a theater where everyone is sitting everywhere except the prime seats. Like, cause how many of your average showings are selling out? Not that many. So basically everyone who goes to the movies is just not going to pay the extra and is just going to sit elsewhere. So instead of gaining more money, there actually may actually even be losing money because someone's just going to be like, yeah, I'm not going to go. Uh, I think in this era of streaming, one thing that theater executives have proven they don't understand is how much money people have invested in their own home theaters. Yeah. Where they can sit at home, eat whatever food they want in the comfort of their own home on their own couch, yeah. have surround sound, have a huge screen in front of mm -hmm. them and not have to worry about any of this nonsense. Yeah. And I think what I think it's going the wrong direction, too, because it's creating a much more complicated system. And one of the things that, you, that what you should be doing at a theater is making it as easy to get into the theater as possible. And this experience needs to be as easy, as comfortable, as friendly, as user uh, experience friendly as humanly possible. And creating this extra layer, especially because most of the theaters have scaled back and are not doing ticket counters. You're just getting it you're getting your tickets when you're getting your food, those lines get really backed up. Mm. And now you're adding another level of complexity. And you know, inevitably for a long time, someone's going to show up late. It's going to have to sit in one of those middle seats and pay extra. And there's going to be a long conversation about why am I having to pay yeah. extra? What is this? What is happening? What's going on? And, and the, the, yeah. other, the other thing is once the movie starts and those seats aren't taken, somebody's going to move into those seats yeah because they're there just yeah. like a sporting event yeah and i can guarantee you that the 14 15 and 16 year olds working at the movie theater are not going to care especially one percent because them. there's even fewer ushers now yeah. than there used to be like how, how many i i don't I can't remember the last time i went to a movie and somebody actually came into the theater as the movie was going on yeah like <laughs> it's been a long time yeah. since i've seen that yeah uh 
so similarly to the Netflix story about password cracking down, password sharing cracking down, we talked about last week, it seems like there's an organization going out of their way to anger their customer base. And you're not really getting anything for it. Um, so not, I just, I just don't, I don't understand what they're doing. I don't think it's going to help in any way. I think it's just going to hurt. Mm-hmm. So we'll see though. We'll see. I'm, I'm betting money. They're backtracking on this in a few months, but. I don't know. Yep. Okay. All right. Well, let's move on to our discussion item for this week. And uh, if you joined us last week, we ranked the best picture winners from 2000 to 2009. Uh, so this week we're taking a further step back. We are going to the best picture winners from 1990 through 1999. And uh, this is an interesting group. Uh, what I'm what I'm finding, just, just kind of a header for this, what I'm finding as I go through these lists, not only the movies that won, but also the movies that were nominated, is that one thing I'm finding is what it's saying about the movie industry during that era. And there are some very clear trends that you can see um, developing as you look at the best picture winners and the nominations from 1990 up to where we are now. And we'll get to, we can get to this more because it's a much bigger discussion. And once we go next week into the 2010s and when we arrive to where we're at now, but there's a stark contrast and you can see the trend lines Mm -hmm. as you go through this. And now I I know we did them out of order. I wanted to do the 2000s first because I thought that was a good starting point. Uh, And then we're going back to the nines. We'll go to the 2010s next week. But um, there's a real trend line here. And this is going to become apparent when we're looking at at the best picture nominations here. Uh, So just go through the list. 1990 winner was Driving Miss Daisy, 1991, Dances with Wolves, 1992, Silence of the Lambs, 1993, Unforgiven, 1994, Schindler's List, 1995, Forrest Gump, 1996, Braveheart, 1997, The English Patient, Uh, 1998, Titanic and 1999 Shakespeare in Love. Okay. All right, Rob. So what we're going to do here is, um, of course, we are going to put them in rank order. So each of us ranked them based on which ones we thought were best and which ones we thought were worst. And then after we do our rankings, I'm going to go through a couple of ones that had different year and go through the nominations that were nominated that year. And we'll kind of discuss now that we have like 30, 25, 35 years worth of uh, distance from these movies. uh, Were they ultimately the best picture that came out that year? Well, there's one movie that came out in the nineties. That's not on this list. And that's the Shawshank Redemption. It was in a nomination. Yes. So that you're, you're jumping the gun, Mm -hmm. man. We're getting there. We're going to get there. Yep. We're going to get there. Um, so let's go with number 10. What what did you have down at the bottom? What was number 10? Okay, so there are two oh, here yeah, yeah. that let's, I have not seen. Let's, let's, let's go over that first. Okay. Which ones have you not seen okay. from this list? I have not seen The English Patient or Unforgiven, so okay. I can't rank those. Um, so my lowest one on the list remaining would be Driving Miss Daisy. Okay, number eight. so that's number eight for you. So mm-hmm. I have seen all the ones on this list. Uh, with the caveat that it has been forever since I've seen Unforgiven and since I've seen Dances with Wolves. I've seen them each once, and it's been a very long time. So uh, my memory could be a little faulty on these, but I have seen all the ones on the list. Uh, number 10 for me was Titanic. Um, big, huge, giant release movie. Uh, it's more a meme now, almost than it is like an actually well-respected film. Uh, We were, you know, we were even joking around about it when we were talking about the Mm re-release. It almost has a joke-like quality to it. Uh, It was, it almost, it's very 90s. It was very 90s. It was very emblematic of that particular era of the late 90s. Uh, 
particular the uh, Celine Dion song that was just incessant everywhere. Um, so it brings back memories, but in terms of where it ranks on the list, like it's almost a cartoonish the way we view this movie now. Uh, so that's why it's number 10 on my list. Uh, number nine, Driving Miss Daisy. Uh, it's number nine on my list. It's a good movie. It actually is. It's a good character development movie. Uh, so I don't have an issue with it from a movie perspective. I just don't find it particularly interesting. Uh, it's just not, it's not super interesting a movie for me. Mm -hmm. uh, but it is, it is, it's a good movie. And Morgan Freeman is, is excellent as always uh, in, in Driving Miss Daisy. So that's why I have a 10 and 9. So go ahead. Your number so 8 I, was? So I gave 8, Driving Miss Daisy. Driving Miss Daisy. Okay. So what was your rationale for that being in number 8? Basically exactly what you said. That's mm -hmm. a good movie for what it is, but I don't have it higher than any of the other ones on this list. Mm -hmm. Yep. Okay. Uh, for me, number 8 was Shakespeare in Love. Uh, this was kind of a little bit of a surprise winner in that year. Uh, it's an okay movie. I mean... Ray Fiennes is always good. Joseph Fiennes. That was Joseph Fiennes. Mm -hmm. uh, Gwyneth Paltrow. Uh, I like Shakespeare. <laughs> mm -hmm. So from that aspect. But it's like a romantic comedy drama. Uh, it's fine. But that's it. It's fine. It is a lot different than most of the other movies on the list. It is. It's, it's, it is, it is the, one of the most out there ones. And it's one of the few kind of like romantic romantic type movies on the list i mean some people might say titanic but look yeah, really <laughs> but yeah it, it it is it is a little bit of an outlier um there is another one that's kind of considered a romance movie but it, there's a lot of historical drama on there too but that's so i have shakespeare in love at number eight what do you have for number seven so number seven i have titanic okay um i think it's a little bit i think it's a it's i think it's it's hard to argue that it's not a good movie. Um, just, I mean, it made a ridiculous, it's absurd, amount, absurd especially for what it was. Yeah. Like a, a period historical drama. Mm -hmm. Like it had no right to make the amount of money. Basically. I think there, there is a fascination with the Titanic. It's something mm -hmm. that it has captured eras. Like there's just a, an international fascination with the Titanic. Yeah. So I think there's a lot in there for that. And yeah. I will say that um, regardless of what you think about it, um this movie it's very clear that james cameron has a deep respect and love for the story of the titanic yes whether, whether or not you agree with some of the choices he made stylistically mm -hmm. um, or artistically with how he told the story he is very passionate about the story there's yeah. no denying that yeah, yeah. Um, because it's very much a love letter to that whole situation mm -hmm. um so that was my number seven titanic okay uh so that leaves me at number six. Oh, wait, no, I'm at number seven. Yeah, you're at number seven. I'm at number seven. Forrest Gump for me. Uh, this is going to be a lot higher on a lot of people's lists. I just don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be honest. I know I'm in the minority on this. This is a personal preference selection versus my ranking of the actual film. I just can't put it higher because I don't particularly like it. What it accomplished is amazing. Like, like it encompasses an entire era of history in a way that very few other films have. I just don't love the, I don't love the character of Forrest. I don't love the character of Jenny. She drives me nuts. Um, I've just never enjoyed this movie. I mean, I can totally see why people like it and I can totally see what it did from a cinematic standpoint. And I don't have a problem with the fact that people like it or that it won Best Picture. Mm -hmm. It certainly could fit in that classification. This is a personal bias, again, <laughs> Forrest Gump that has it at uh, number seven for me. So number six for me is Shakespeare in Love. Mm -hmm. um, just because I don't think it's it's not in the top five of what I have mm -hmm. remaining. I think it's a really good movie. Yeah. Um, like we've talked about, there's a pretty broad distinction between this movie and the other movies in this list. Yeah. Um, one thing a lot of these movies have in common is their long mm -hmm. dramas. Yeah. And I will say that with this one and Forrest Gump, you got a little bit more 
those are the two that have like the most humor in them. Driving Miss Daisy mm-hmm. has a little humor in it, yeah, too. But these are um, Shakespeare in Love is more like in your face, ribald kind of yeah humor than anything else on this list. Mm-hmm. Um, Forrest Gump is more like quirky, kind of silly humor, I would say, when you're comparing the two. Yeah. Um, but I I can I I wonder in some ways if they wanted this to be the best picture just because of how different it was in a way that it was breathing a different kind of life into um the movie scene Mm -hmm. and that's why i got recognized like you said it was kind of a little bit of a an unknown like surprise that came like towards the end of the award season picked up steam and ended up winning the award yeah yeah for sure uh so the next one on my list at number six is unforgiven unforgiven is number six uh, there's a little personal animus here, not animus, bias, because I'm not a big fan of Westerns, uh, but Clint Eastwood directs, Clint Eastwood is, has been a great director for decades now, and uh, it's a very well done Western. It's got all the classic Western tropes to it. Um, it's got everything you want in it. Um, I, I'm just like, it's just as as a genre um there are not a ton of Westerns that I love. It's mm-hmm. just not my favorite genre. So that, again, not a reflection on the quality of the movie. Uh, just it's not going to be higher on my personal list because I'm not a huge fan of Westerns. So I think when you look at uh, top five, I think any of these top five that that are remaining on my list are... I wouldn't necessarily I, say... Okay, I missed one. I went. I skipped an order. I missed I missed the English patient on okay. that list. Okay. Sorry. Where do you I have, have the, to go back. Where do you have the English patient? I had Unforgiven at number five. Okay. Or yeah, one, two. At five. I missed the okay, English so patient. English patient is your I first. had English patient at number seven. Okay. Yeah. So you skipped over that. So one. I missed that one. So okay. now I've completely ruined the entire order. That's of all right. Day. So English uh, patient number seven. English patient number seven. The big knock on this movie is it's long. It's really long. Uh, the juxtaposition of the the kind of romance caretaking story with the actual historical events. Uh, it is an interesting story. It is it's captivating. It's interesting. It gives you some historical and geographical uh, perspective. Uh, it's well one of this is one of the is well edited. Whenever you have storylines that are crossing timelines the editing becomes very important as to how you tell the story and when you reveal what you reveal uh so from that standpoint uh it is an interesting movie uh but it is very long so mm-hmm. that's why i have it lower on the list and then so just to recap you had unforgiven number six i had unforgiven number six okay wait one two three four i had forrest gump at six i had okay. unforgiven at number five okay all right, so my number five then was Schindler's List. Okay. Um, this movie is phenomenal, but like we've talked about, some movies being long. And I think one thing, I would say one thing that detracts on this one for me is we've talked about this mm-hmm. recently quite a bit is watchability. Yeah. Because this movie is so heavy mm-hmm. that it is not one you want to watch again no. for quite a while, if ever, after yeah. you see it the first time. Yeah. Now, does that make so? So, I guess the the question, the overarching question there, um, philosophically, is: Does that make it um, not a great movie, or does that make it a superb movie um, if it impacts you that much? Yeah, it. I think you have to put it in context. There is no way to do this movie justice without it being very difficult to watch Mm -hmm. and by nature it's going to be that way and the impact it had to the point where schools were showing this like i first watched this in high school like high schools made special exemptions to see this you would never normally see a movie that has what this movie has in it in a high school or at least you wouldn't i don't i have no idea what they're doing in high schools now who knows but they show this in high school like it's impossible to do this movie in such a way where it was like, Oh, let's pop in Schindler's list movie night. Yeah. You know, you're not doing that. You're not doing that. So um, that's different than like, I, I talked about this a couple of weeks ago, a man called Ova was mm-hmm. very, very heavy. 
and felt very, very heavy. But that that's a I, I ding it for that. Mm-hmm. I don't ding Schindler's List for that. Um, it had a very immediate impact, um, but it does, it depends on how you want to judge it. It does affect its, I think it does affect the lack of watchability does affect the impact the movie has over a broad range of, mm-hmm. of history. Mm-hmm. Um, because it is a movie you're going to watch once and and not come back to it for a very long time. Mm-hmm. All right. So what do you have? You would do number four next? That- yeah. Number four for me was uh, Schindler's List. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For the, for all of those same reasons, brilliant, brilliant film, perfectly illustrated. Um, it was a story that was deeply necessary and needed to be told and needed to be told in a way that garnered a broad audience. Mm-hmm. And so from a historical perspective, this represents one of the things that movies can do well is put you in that place and let you see things for what they are, put you in those worlds. And so from that is a perfect illustration of very well done cinema, but it's very low on the watchability mm-hmm. score. And so that's why it's as that's why it's lower on this list for me. Uh, number four for me, I have Avatar in the Wild West, otherwise known as Dances of Wolves. <laughs> Because we talked about how Avatar is really dances of the wolves in space. Yeah. <laughs> One of the primary knocks on it. Um, and I think when you look at the concept of fish out of water stories, which mm-hmm. is a major movie hallmark, I think yeah. this is one of the best. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it does an adequate job of being respectful of the culture that it's talking about um, that uh, Kevin Costner's character is integrating into. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's a believable story there about the progression of that character. Yeah. Um, I think some people maybe knock on this would be, and and it's like a lot of these movies, how long it is. Mm-hmm. Um, it's definitely a movie you have to invest in. Yeah. But I would say that it's, I would say that it's eminently more watchable than mm-hmm. Schindler's List or Titanic yeah. or some other longer movies. Mm-hmm. Um, there are things in it that are worth watching. The main thing being Tatanka. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! So that was number four in your list. Yes. All right. So I, it's it's number three on mine. So I'll okay. I'll continue the discussion about it. Uh, again, this is probably the movie I've seen the longest ago, um, and so my memories of it are a little bit fuzzy. What I remember, it's it's a great illustration of excellent movie making for the era it it really defined how they did like historic period pieces in the 90s another great example is gettysburg who came mm-hmm. out a couple years later gettysburg is another great example there's a lot of crossover in cinematography on those films and so it perfectly encapsulates a specific eras and a genre of films in that specific era um, Kevin Costner, of course, this was the height of Kevin Costner. Early 90s, Kevin Costner was like like the gold standard of acting at that moment. And um, so it's 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 a film that I don't have a ton to say about it, but it's just really, really well done. That's my main that's my main thing on mm-hmm. this. It's just really, really well done. All right. So we're on to my number three. Yeah. Um, and at number three for me, and the these top three I think are very close. Uh, for me, but I have to say Forrest Gump mm. is my number three. As mm-hmm. you said, I have it higher on my list than you. Most be, people. <laughs> because it just, it, land, it lands with me. Uh-huh. I think it does a fantastic job of presenting some very serious, deep cultural pain in a way that is relevant and still is able to bring some humor out of it. Mm-hmm. And I think that one of the ways you move forward from painful experiences in the culture is to make to bring light to it and sometimes make light of it. Mm-hmm. Um, the Vietnam war in particular is the the part of this movie that sticks out to me the most because there was so much uh, animosity mm-hmm. and hatred for people involved in that conflict, both going overseas and people in the establishment hating people who were anti-establishment in our own country. Yeah. And the, the tear and, pain from those situations still reverberates through this day. And I, I think it did. Um, I, I think that like good morning Vietnam um, 
and some other movies did an interesting job of, you know, providing some levity to that situation and reminding people that, you know, these are all human beings. And I think that Mm -hmm. was lost a lot in that scenario. And I think this movie did a really good job on that particular issue of bringing some insight. Mm -hmm. So it's always resonated with me. I find it funny. I really like Tom Hanks. Mm -hmm. And I think Tom Hanks is, no matter what you feel about this movie, I think Tom Hanks is phenomenal. Oh, yeah. In this movie. Always. Like just, yeah. There are very few people I think who could have played the character he did mm-hmm. without it becoming a complete caricature. Yeah. Now people obviously, you know, life is like a rough chocolate. So you never know where you're going to get, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. But he plays that with mm-hmm. an earnestness that very few actors I think would have been able to pull off. The, the quote from Tropic Thunder just came to mind, but I'm not going to, I'm not going there. <laughs> I'm not going there. Uh, yeah. No, I, I can't disagree with anything that you're saying. It's it's just the difference in preferences, mm-hmm. you know. So all right, yeah. so we're on your number two. This was tough. Number one and number two. I went back and forth. And we have the same number and one forth. and number two, which is very interesting. Back and forth and back and forth. Um number two is Braveheart. <laughs> yeah, number two for me is Braveheart. Um either one of these two could have been number one. Um, of of course, at this point, we know that the, the other one's going to be Silence of the Lambs. Mm-hmm. Uh, so between Silence of the Lambs and Braveheart, um, I have Braveheart at number two. Um, in fact, I'll just talk about that when I get to number one, but mm-hmm. I'll just talk about Braveheart for now. Uh, an unbelievably exceptional war film. It creates one of the most iconic hero stories. Um, it is really something that stuck out, especially with men. Women love it too, because there, there are some genuine love stories and interest and and some heroic narratives in this. But the figure of Mel Gibson's character in this film and the way Mel Gibson portrayed it um, really spoke to a generation of men in a way that a lot of other films don't about the character of a man, the traits of a man, what we want to see, what we want to be as men. And, and to do it in such a way where the cinematography was excellent. The battle scenes were engaging. um, The, the fighting, the heroic nature of it, the gruesome nature of it, Mm -hmm. the betrayal, like it had, it had all the, it had all the meat to it mm. uh and and to be able to get that much play out of a character that almost nobody had heard of prior to this film mm. and now it is the william wallace character is is a cultural icon like i mean it has waned a little bit because the film is you know um, almost 30 years old mm-hmm. at this point but people know who william wallace is now and mm. that is a result of this movie and, and this film Braveheart is also my number two. Okay. No doubt surprised, unsurprised by. Um was not as hard of a decision for me. Okay. Um, I think Silence of the Lambs is far and away the best movie mm-hmm. of this decade. That's on this list. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's on this list, yes. Um, but uh Braveheart just had, like you said, tremendous cultural impact. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you could make the argument that before Gladiator came out, it was the definitive movie centered around uh commander rallying people mm-hmm. to fight for a cause i do think gladiator took that mantle mm-hmm. um when it came out i just think it's a better movie yeah but um it 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 speaks to how good this movie is that i think it belongs in the same breath as gladiator because that mm-hmm. is a very high standard yeah um to have so i don't have a whole lot of other mm-hmm. things to say about it because because i agree with most of you if i could if i could <laughs> um talk about silence of the lambs um if i could leave have at it have at it number Um, one silence of the lambs for both of us so silence of the lambs the fact it's number one on your list uh i think speaks probably it it probably speaks higher to the quality of this movie than any other thing because one thing that ryan does not like if you do not know is horror movies silence of the lambs found a way to be a horror movie but also be so relatable to people that they were able to see themselves in it without 
becoming so afraid that they were too scared to watch it. And I think that is a phenomenal achievement. Yeah. Um, the character that Thomas Harris created, Hannibal Lecter, I would argue is the best bad guy in the history of cinema. Mm. Um, I think, you know, there, there are some others that could be up for mm. that consideration. Yeah. But I can't think of many that were acted with such sincerity in such an unnerving way mm -hmm. as Anthony Hopkins portrays his character. Yeah. It is chilling listening to him talk. Mm -hmm. And one thing that I've been starting to read, um, starting to read a book, Mind Hunters. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which mm -hmm. is about the serial crime unit in the yeah, FBI. Yeah. Um, and one thing that he has said early in this book is that one thing they found with serial killers that you might not expect is that they are usually very affable, relatable, humorous, and easy to get along with. Mm -hmm. um, and that is the genius of this character mm -hmm. because he is just friendly enough to draw you in yeah. to his world, but he is mischievous and he is dangerous. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't, I really don't think there have been many better written characters yeah. in the history of cinema than Hannibal mm -hmm. Lecter. That speaks to mm -hmm. Thomas Harris, Thomas Harris's book, but it also speaks to the direction of this movie. Um, and I, I just, I, I think it's phenomenal. There are so many scenes that stick out in your mind when you yeah. think about this movie. Um, but, and there's so much, dis there's so much in it that's disturbing, mm -hmm. but there is something about the movie. Like I said, that although it's essentially a horror movie, it's still it's still close enough to grasp yeah. for people. Yeah. Maybe, maybe because it's not incredibly gory, mm -hmm. but there's still some stuff in there that's like you sit and think about it and you're like, that is mm -hmm. disturbing. Yeah. <laughs> so I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. Cause like I said, I know it's not a subgenre you're yeah. typically into. I would put it, I would push it more towards thriller than into the horror category you can go either way it's it's on that borderline places you know movies like a quiet place things along those lines they push the border on thriller versus horror i really like thrillers I'm, i just don't like the horror and so there are some that kind of teeter on the borderline of those i'm usually okay with the ones that kind of teeter on the borderline uh for me what makes this movie so great is the psychological drama of it it is an incredibly intelligent psychological movie. It is a mental game. It is a mental game back and forth. What game is he playing? And to watch Anthony Hopkins as Hannibal control everything from inside his cage, from inside his cell. Like you get this, you get this moment, like the juxtaposition of how the character seems when he talks versus the environment he's in, this glassed fish tank-like cage um, versus how he articulates himself and the high class in which he talks and the way in which he interacts with people. Like, that juxtaposition, like, you want to trust this guy, but you know you can't. And mm. so that constantly playing around with that theme the entire movie is incredible. Uh, I love the scene where he gets moved into like the courthouse and he's in that cage in the courthouse and how cordial he's being with his detectives and all of that. And then he just goes out and just obliterates them the moment he gets the chance to like that. That character is incredible. I don't know if I would say he's the best, but I haven't really contemplated enough. He's in the conversation. That's mm -hmm. absolutely for sure. Um, but that balance between this unbelievably manipulative psychological character versus the green, you know, naive character played by Jodie Foster. That interplay is gold. It's, mm -hmm. it's so gold. And those scenes where the back and forth between them are incredible. Um, I love this character so much. I absolutely love the TV show Hannibal where Max mm -hmm. Michelson, Michelson, yeah, played, played Hannibal. And he was incredible in that too. Um, there's so much meat to work with with that character. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. So uh, before we close this out, uh, I just did a couple of years that I want us to focus on and talk about uh, and talk about some of the other movies that were up for best picture. 
during that same year. Uh, the first one is 1990 for the 1990 Best Oscar, which went to Driving Miss Daisy. Uh, here's some of the here's the other nominations: Born on the Fourth of July, Dead Poets Society, Field of Dreams, and then My Left Foot, which no one's ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> but Field of Dreams, Dead Poets Society, Driving Miss Daisy. Um, I don't know how you feel about this. Uh, those other two movies, Dead Poets Society and Field of Dreams, mm-hmm. are all timers. Mm-hmm. They're all timers for me. They're on my all-time list. Um, but I would argue Field of Dreams has had the biggest impact mm-hmm. to the point where two years ago, MLB built the Field of Dreams field yeah. and had actual MLB teams playing on it. And then they did again last yeah. year, too. This movie is still having ripple effects 30 years, mm-hmm. almost 35 years down the pike. So I think when we look at this, for me, Field of Dreams has had the biggest impact of any of the movies in that in that year. <laughs> yeah, I have to agree with you completely on that. And I think there is undoubtedly some personal bias about both of these other mm-hmm. movies because um, Dead Post Society, also with Robin Williams, just... He he is so good at he was so good at investing himself in a character emotionally. Yeah. And there were not a whole lot of movies where he was the straight man or more serious. Mm-hmm. Um, you think of this, think of Goodwill Hunting. Yeah. Um, there are a couple of other examples. But when he had to take that kind of role and he committed to it, there were very few actors who were better than him, and probably no comedian no. ever who was better at that kind of no, role. No, he was such so yeah um real quickly i'll I'll do another one uh 1992 a few good men was in that one uh i would argue that that's still that's still a movie that's on regularly Mm -hmm. and that people watch uh much more so than unforgiven so i would say looking back on that a few good men uh crying game was in that year howard's end and senate can't handle the truth yeah yeah (laughs) like the one of the most iconic lines in movie history. You can't handle the truth. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I would argue a few good men is better than that year. But we got to go to 1994. Mm-hmm. We have to go to 1994. Here's your best picture nominees. Uh, actually, we'll go we'll go 94 and 95 because 94 was Schindler's List, but also The Fugitive and The Piano were in there. Mm-hmm. And oh, The Fugitive. <laughs> oh, that's such a good movie. That's a tough one. I don't care. (laughs) (laughs) Like that is another one of those iconic characters, iconic movies. Um, While I don't know that I would necessarily say it deserves it. This is that watchability thing. Fugitive is one of the most eminently watchable movies that you'll ever find versus Schindler's List, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which is not. But I would say I would say on reflection, I think the Fugitive is the better. Uh, but 1995, the 1994 movies. Forrest Gump was the winner. We had Four Weddings for a Funeral, Pulp Fiction, Quiz Show, and The Shawshank Redemption. Wow. That was a loaded lineup for Best Picture. So Pulp Fiction and The Shawshank Redemption, I still haven't made my list. So they are the, I can tell you before I even make my list, they are both in the top 10 of my movies of all time. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I can't be objective about this because the Shawshank Redemption is my favorite movie of all time. Yeah. And I think it's about as close to a perfect movie as you can mm-hmm. have. Um, so I, I, I was... understand why, because of the, the deep cultural impact at the time the Shawshank mm-hmm. had that it won. Yeah. But I, I, I really do think the Shawshank Redemption is the better movie. Oh, yeah. Uh, I think what what is IMDb or not IMDb, one of the lists, one of the film lists has it as the number one movie of all time, Shawshank Redemption. I think this is the difference between like reacting to a movie in its immediacy and Forrest Gump had that immediacy impact to it. Like it was a cultural moment. It was a cultural hostage. Mm-hmm. Shawshank Redemption is is by far the better movie. And that's not disparaging Forrest Gump, but it's by far the better movie. Mm-hmm. And and the way it was done and the themes and it just watchability is incredible. Like the legacy of that movie is 
substantial and what it impact how it impacted film is substantial so the, what a loaded year but i think i think you have to reflect on the Shawshank connection mm-hmm. and i will say uh 1996 the 1995 movies apollo 13 was up in there next to braveheart Ooh, that's a tough one too mm-hmm. that's a tough one too i might give the nod i love braveheart but i, I would give the nod to apollo 13 mm-hmm. uh but I think one last comment, which we'll get to probably next week, but you look at the list of the movies that were nominated for Best Picture in the 1990s, almost every single fandom movie would have seen every single one of them. Mm-hmm. And you look at that compared to what we'll see in the 2010s, and especially what you see now, big difference. Mm-hmm. Big difference. And we'll talk about that later. All right, let's move on to our watch list. Movies we've watched over the past week. What'd you watch? So I watched a few movies. I'm just going to highlight one. Um, Interstellar. Ah, yes. Yeah. So watch it again after watching Contacts. Yes. The emotional weight that this movie has Mm -hmm. for what it is, is it's otherworldly. Yeah. To use a very trite um, term or phrase based on what the movie's about. Mm Mm-hmm. But the music in this movie, the acting in this movie, the writing in this movie, the the settings that are used, the how they use the cameras to film the space sequences, just everything about this movie is yeah. top class and definitely holds as much emotional impact on me as the first time I saw it. Yeah, the, the ambition level for tackling a story like this is off the charts. It is, in my opinion, the best, I would say the best traditional sci-fi movie I've ever seen. Um, You could argue about whether something like Inception is sci-fi or something like that, but like like traditional space science fiction movie. Apollo 13 doesn't count because it's based on an actual event. But like space science fiction movie is the best one ever done. It is the highest concept ever created. Um, I've I've read the book about the science of interstellar done by the physicists who worked on the movie with Nolan and their dedication to accuracy when it came to the science aspect of it is second to none, including like their renditions of what a black hole looked like came out of the fact that they took all of the quantum data, all the calculations about black holes and fed them into a giant supercomputer to render the first images of what those physical con- physics concepts would be like in an actual reality. And that's how they came up with the, the graphics for that. Uh, just, oh, it's unbelievable. All right, what'd you watch? Um, I watched uh, two movies that I'll talk about. I watched Super 8. Which, ah, it's so good. I, I would argue that Super 8 started the 80s nostalgia. Hmm. And I would argue there would be no Stranger Things if there had not been Super hmm. 8. Um, such a well-done movie by J.J. Abrams. Uh, you know, kind of a, uh, what was that? What was the movie in, that actually in the 80s with the kids? Uh, Will Wheaton was in it. Um, shoot. Now I'm forgetting it. <laughs> it's, um, yeah, it's it, it, it's a, it's a, it's like a, coming of age like you know mm-hmm. 12 13 year old kid drama uh but really really good really heartfelt story uh good classic action it's like a it's like a a tribute to, to kind of the steven spielberg mm-hmm. um close encounters of a third kind like that classic old school science fiction movie really well done um and then i saw uh the banshees of inishirin so I'm working on I'm working on some of the best picture nominees. Uh, so I checked out the Banshees of Inishirin. Uh Interesting movie. It's a slow developing character drama that takes place on an island off the coast of Ireland in the 1920s. And basically, uh, Colin Farrell is uh, is friends with this older guy. And I'm blanking on the actor's name, but I'm not going to look it up. Um, and they're they're good friends. And then one day the older guy decides he doesn't like the other guy anymore. And Colin Farrell's character doesn't understand why he doesn't mm-hmm. like him or why he doesn't talk to him. And so that just continues to escalate. Personal drama that continues to escalate to uh an absurd standpoint. Um 
it's okay. I mean, we're going to do a list of which ones you should watch and which ones you shouldn't mm-hmm. coming up once we get around to watching all of them. But um, does it deserve best picture? No. No, I don't think it does. But it's okay. If you like, this is this is up your alley because you like the slow, mm-hmm. drawn-out mm-hmm. character drama. It's certainly that. And that does tend to be one that gets the attention of the Academy mm-hmm. uh, more regularly. All right. All right. Well, that is it. Thank you for watching Film for Fans. Uh, Check us out on our website, filmforfans.com. Our list of the 2022 best pictures uh, from each of us is up on our website right now. So go to filmforfans.com. Check that out. Like, subscribe, all that good stuff. Until next time, enjoy the movies.